0: Uh, You got to have a good market. You want to understand the market you're in. So Houston, uh, it's not what people think. People think of the age of dynasty and oil rigs, and it's not all that anymore. It's it's a much more diverse economy, so you don't have to worry as much about uh, an oil bust causing trouble like it did in the past. And then, of course, you got the deal itself. Uh, which made a lot of sense to me, there was an inheritance issue. And so whenever you've got that, a lot of times you've got a very motivated seller. So everybody's gonna say, hey, I've got a great deal, but, uh, and rents are under market, but you've got to have the evidence behind it. And so uh, when you look at at many markets and when you're a limited partner, generally not investing always in the same markets, uh, those sorts of things that corroborate the story are very helpful.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Real Estate Vibe. On this show, your host, Vinky Lumba, brings highly successful industry professionals to learn from their life experiences and how their mindset played a huge role in their success, especially in building generational wealth with commercial real estate investing. By the way, this show is strictly for educational purposes and should not be considered legal accounting or investment advice. Please stay tuned, we have a free gift for you at the end. And also, if you like the show, don't forget to give us good ratings and comments below. Today, I
2: have an award-winning data scientist, as well as a published bioscientist with over 600 citations in the fields of genomics, microbiology, and physiology. He's a founder of Walnut Grove Homes, an upscale residential construction company based in Troy, Michigan, which reached seven-figure status in 2021 he's also a principal at horizon multifamily which sponsors value add multifamily opportunities in the southeast for qualified passive investors and his name is george roberts one of my good friends welcome george well thank you for having me ben I'm super excited to have you with me today. I wanted to learn about your journey in the real estate. So can you tell me, how do you see yourself today at present, professionally, as well as in your personal life?
0: Well, still very much uh, growing at this point. I launched my podcast in 2021, had my first apartment deal in 2020, and first- GP deal in 2021. So things are going, uh, moving very, very quickly mm-hmm. in the professional space.
2: Tell me a little bit about your background. What contributed to your success and to your personality to become the person that you are today?
0: Well, persistence, I'd say, has got to be the number one trait in any successful person. This is something I've observed. Uh, it's also something that you see uh, weaved throughout the story of any successful person.
2: So you've been investing in real estate or were you doing something before real estate? Did you have any other career or did you start your career in real estate?
0: So I did uh, multiple things. I was in bioscience, as you mentioned. I worked in three different fields, had a lot of fun, very exciting, uh, met a lot of very fascinating people. And the research, of course, is very fascinating. I always wanted to go into industry but didn't get that opportunity. So decided that I would take an alternate path got a master's degree in computer science, and then I went
2: uh, into the business world. You wanted to become a researcher or a scientist. It's more like a data scientist anyways, right? Correct, so I went
0: into the, the realm of data. And that's a great way to uh, repurpose a PhD. Sometimes I joke about being a recovering PhD, and it's it's not always easy to find or figure out exactly what to do with a degree like that. But if you like computers and you have that sort of an empirical or a statistical background, very easy to find some amazing jobs in the corporate environment.
2: Now you're an entrepreneur. You're in the real estate. So you brought that skill set with you. Your skill set being a data scientist. So you're a researcher, you know how to look at the data. Was that an easy transition for you? You know, especially looking into the underwriting, looking at all the numbers, how was that experience? Can you tell me that?
0: Yeah, interesting question. Uh, I have to really think back, was it easy? Hard to say. Uh, I don't think that I ever really expected it to be so easy. I think that any anything people do well, it's, it's really gotta be a labor of love. And I remember uh, when I first got to science, I asked the question, what makes a great scientist? And I was very surprised by the answer and that it's curiosity because (laughs) it's very, very hard to be good at anything that you don't love. And if you're not curious, you won't be a great scientist. And so I think the same thing prevails with anything. You've got to have a really strong desire to do it. And after having worked in the academic environment for many years, which uh, after a while, I found it a bit confining and really uh, yearned for the world of business. But when I started uh, to work on the entrepreneurial track with my sister, that's when things really changed for me. Now, I'd already been a landlord for many years, but uh, just being a landlord of a single family home is not a very exciting business. Uh, Helping to build the construction company was very exciting to me. And after that, I felt that uh, I really couldn't go back. After that, uh, I always had to have some entrepreneurial iron in the fire. And for me, that was value-add multifamily.
2: So when you build this construction company, what was that experience like? Some learning tips or tricks on that path?
0: So, uh, wow, so many, I would have to say. Uh, the first thing was just learning what business is all about. It was interesting, again, coming from an academic environment. I know that you had a, maybe a similar background. You, you've, you've been a leader in both uh, positions or both environments, but uh, but very different. Uh, so what are some of the, the lessons I'd have to say is uh, just in leadership anywhere you've really got to look for all the things that can go wrong and when you look at ground-up construction there are many Uh, you have everything from commodity prices Uh, there are issues with getting people in who can do the job and uh, a lot of the people that do the job maybe kind of need a little babysitting it's it's quite an interesting uh, adult daycare environment at times and all of the things that you've got to um, to estimate I mean, for a for ground up, it's it's an absolutely uh, monstrous job to estimate the costs.
2: So you said you started this construction company with your sister, correct?
0: Yes, and brother-in-law. So family and brother-in-law.
2: Plan. So they were already in the business, in the construction business?
0: No, we all came from different fields. So my sister is a finance leader. Um, Her husband, my brother-in-law, he came from uh, Tulandai, and so he had a leadership position there. Obviously, somebody very skilled with his hands. He was also an airplane mechanic. And then I had a more academic background, but again, I really zested for the opportunity to be in business.
2: What was it like when three of you got together and you thought, let's start a construction company? How did that evolve and what was the effort that you all three had to do to set up the company? You know, there's a lot involved when you're setting up a brand new company or any business that you're setting up. So what kind of skill sets or what exactly was there any hesitations? Any fears, it was just like, go get your mind. Let me do it. I know I can do it.
0: Yeah, so uh, certainly there's fear in any significant undertaking, but I would have to say that if your desire is larger, then the fear doesn't really matter. And so um, without a doubt, uh, there were many, many things we needed to surmount. In terms of skill sets, obviously my sister brought some finance and leadership, same as my brother-in-law, uh, very similar in, in, the, in the sense that I think that uh, he has a background in business business. business, business degree, et cetera. As for me, uh, again, my skill set perhaps may be a little different, uh, but I came from the IT end. And so it was pretty obvious that I should be the one to set up a lot of the administrative stuff, email accounts. And when you talk about all the things that go into setting up a business, Absolutely. There's everything from your operations. Uh, but again, there's there's the finance end of it. And then there's always a lot of administrative stuff. But uh, through it all, though, I found uh, that even some of these maybe less exciting tasks like reading contracts and working with the lawyers. A lot of people don't like that, but I'm fascinated by that. I mean, you give me an operating agreement and it's it's truly fascinating because that is really the set of ground rules for how your business is supposed to run. And if it doesn't run like that, if you get sued, as you know, uh, they can pierce the corporate veil. So very important to set it up the way you want it and the way you're actually going to run it. So I am personally fascinated by uh, things like operating agreements.
2: So you had the background in IT and being a data scientist because you said you were uh, you know, taking care of all the administrative stuff. So was there any role for you to brand your company? Or what kind of efforts did you take to create a branding for yourself? Yeah,
0: so if you're starting with a construction company, so I also had a bit of a background in finance, not directly, but for many years in data science, that's the function that I was serving. So a lot of the work that I did was also just helping to get us set up properly, making sure we have the proper tax structure and uh, approach to, uh, to dealing with taxes. Obviously a huge thing and and uh, very, um, it's a little bit of a bridge, right? If you have an LLC, as you know, all those profits flow through to your, your personal tax form. And so you can use some of those same approaches. If you understand your personal taxes, that helps you to take the next step into the LLC world.
2: I read in your bio that you've been investing as a limited partner. What was that experience like? Can we talk about that? Really exciting.
0: So as I understand, you're part of the first deal that I did uh, as a limited partner. I did things perhaps a little backwards. I started a joint venture. I was actually on the active side in apartment investing before I did that. Um, I would very highly recommend if you do want to be active, uh, absolutely nothing wrong with starting out on the passive end. Uh, and I invested in a deal in uh, Houston, and that's an interesting deal. It looks like things are going well. It's only been, what do we say, about nine, ten months, and getting some good updates on that. Uh, It was a great learning experience. I contacted uh, Amy Tiemann about a year ago, and I found her to be very helpful and really trusted her and Uh, For those of you wanting to be on the active end, there's a lesson there, right? If you get out and you help people, you meet people, and you help to bring them up a step, those are the people who are going to trust you uh, and want to put money into your deals.
2: So how did you decide who you wanted to invest with as a limited partner?
0: Well, yeah, in many ways, who you're investing with is the most important thing because if you have a good deal and you don't have the right person to run it, uh, that's not good. But it's it's really, I would say, a confluence of four things. Number one, it's got to be the people you're investing with. Uh, and it was a great team, uh, if I can name them all, at least I remember some, includes Georgia Brew, uh, Shaw. So these are some big names, some people that I trusted. Uh, you got to have a good market. You want to understand the market you're in. So Houston, uh, it's not what people think. People think of the age of dynasty and oil rigs and it's not all that anymore. It's it's a much more diverse economy. So you don't have to worry as much about uh, an oil bust causing trouble like it did in the past. And then of course you got the deal itself. Uh, which made a lot of sense to me. There was an inheritance issue. And so whenever you've got that, a lot of times you've got a very motivated seller. So everybody's going to say, hey, I've got a great deal, but uh, and rents are under market, but you've got to have the evidence behind it. And so uh, when you look at at many markets and when you're a limited partner, generally not investing always in the same markets, uh, those sorts of things that corroborate
2: the story are very helpful. Interesting. So if, if if somebody has to start investing as a limited partner, so how do they vet a sponsor or an operator having no knowledge of the field, you know, coming new to the real estate investing?
0: Well, I would say take your time, first of all, because any investment that you undertake, even if it's say in the stock market, which is supposedly passive, right? You should be doing a lot of due diligence. So don't be afraid to take your time, educate yourself better to get into a good first deal than to just Uh, You don't want to to learn with your own money. So uh, make sure that you take the time, study the field. Obviously, you want somebody reputable. So somebody who's been through multiple deals, ideally somebody who's gone full cycle. That means that they've actually not just purchased the property, but they've operated and sold it. And then once they've gone full cycle, you get some idea of what sort of internal rate of return That they can generate, and you you can get a better idea of whether the numbers on the page actually match up to what they've done in the past. Uh, For me, analysis is a continuous battle. Uh, You have to look not just at what numbers have been generated in the past, but when they've been generated, because the market is obviously the, the greatest driving factor in many cases. When you look at a market like we've had that's been expanding nonstop, For a decade, Uh, you're going to see that there's going to be a lot of heterogeneity over that period. And so you want to have some understanding of how much the rising tide might have been lifting the boats as opposed Mm -hmm. to the sweat of the operator. So definitely do your uh, due diligence. And again, the most important thing is if you want to see the numbers and you want to make sure that there's, there's a track record of going full cycle.
2: So what if someone doesn't have a track record of a complete cycle of a deal? Would you invest with them or what extra effort would you take to get them?
0: Well, the most important thing, of course, is the team. It's never just one person. So it's very rare that you see multiple people that have never either done a deal or haven't gone full cycle going in and taking down a major property. You want to take a look at the entire management team. And if you have somebody who's, a little bit more junior, they're probably going to have a smaller role and the partners that have control, you want to make sure that they have the appropriate track record.
2: You mentioned that to me earlier, you're a GP in Knoxville deal in Tennessee. So what was that experience and how did you pivot from LP to GP?
0: Well, for me, it's just been a continuous effort. Uh, I've been just taking massive action for at least over two years now. And for me, it was the obvious next step uh, being an LP is a great thing, and I will never stop that. Uh, obviously, at some point in the future, I'd like to only be an LP so that I can dip my toes yeah. in the sand. But uh, but in the meantime, uh, it's just literally been uh, every day, it's been my one burning desire. Well, as I mentioned, the Orlando property, that was really the main thing. Now, that was a joint venture, so we didn't have to deal with a lot of fancy lawyers, no syndication attorney, no outside investors. It was just a great opportunity to get used to the idea of what does it take to, to close a commercial deal and what is it like to operate the property? How do you deal with things like overruns and budgets? What happens when you have to pivot because you know either the market or something you find behind the walls is a little different than what you might've expected. So uh, that I would have to say is is the number one thing. And I know there are a lot of gurus out there that would tell you, hey, go out there and look for that 100-unit deal. And That's fine if you've got a guru on the team. You've got someone who can help you to take that down. But what happens when you look and you're not finding the 100-unit deal, but you find a 14-unit deal that looks great? So we took it. And that experience was invaluable. It just would not have been in any way nearly as smooth if I tried to go from, say, being an LP to being a GP. Uh, Definitely, whatever you run, whether it's five units or more, if it's even five units, you're in the commercial space. And that's a great place to start. Even if you have to start at two to four, I would say anything from my experience of being uh, over 10 years as a single family landlord is better than a single single single. Uh, freestanding dwelling
2: tell me a little bit more about your gp position how did you partner with your business partners or how did you find them and how do you how did you build that relationship
0: so for me it was just the local meetup the local meetup i met uh, Pavlo prokop who is one of the uh, managing members at horizon Multifamilies. you see the background behind me and uh, he had not too long before gone to dealmaker live and the uh, the four original partners of Horizon Multifamily had met. So for us, it kind of started as a mastermind. We got together, we were underwriting deals. Uh, three of the five of us ended up taking down the Orlando deal. And then a different group of three of us are part of this uh, East Tennessee deal. So again, it was just going to local meetups, finding people that you can work with, uh, building that mastermind. And when the time comes, turning it into an actual operating company.
2: You said it very well. Your network is your network, so networking is very important in this business. So, how many meetups do you attend on a weekly basis, or any conferences that you can recommend people can go to and make all those connections?
0: Right. Well, conferences are great. I'm not a big conference attendee. Uh, I'd like to attend another one in February. I may be able to make it out to uh, to Joe Fairless in Colorado, but regardless, uh, it's that's a great thing now i live in the midwest i invest in the sunbelt so it's a little harder uh not a whole lot of conferences out here and uh it's a little more expensive to get me out to the uh the conferences that i'd like to but definitely i think it's it's a great thing to do of course much of the last two years there's either not been conferences or even it recently is december i know if you if you went to the conference in uh In Chicago, they actually were forcing people to wear masks. Masks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So as far as I'm concerned, if there's no networking, uh, if, if the networking is shut down, then forget it.
2: Another, I would say, blessing in disguise, we have Zoom. Yes. So meeting via Zoom people is just like meeting face to face and going to all these networking meetings or even the conferences are online too. So that way you can connect with a lot of people as well. The only thing is you need to follow through, but you have to do that anyways. If you go to the conference and you exchange a business card, you have to follow up afterwards you know, to make that connection. Wow.
0: You're really speaking my language, Vinky, because I go to meetups all the time. Hard to say how many, but uh, probably at least one a week. Sometimes, too, I've got my own meetup in Southeast Michigan, definitely contact me if you're in that neck of the woods. But uh, I can't tell you how many times I pass my business card out, and I they don't have a card to pass to me, and I don't get a LinkedIn request. I just don't get it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so that's not worth it, right? That wasn't kind of a no. Of what's the
0: point <laughs> of going to the meeting? You meet interesting exactly. people, and and you, uh, you you discuss ways that you can do business together, and then don't follow up. So. Uh, yeah, definitely. Even if you're new, even if you haven't done a business deal yet, you want to say something on your card like, you know, hey, I'm John Smith, real estate investor. If you can figure out what you think you're going to do, are you going to be like a uh, someone who can be a cash buyer or maybe you can be a hard money lender? Put that on there. But even if it just says real estate investor, that's a huge leap forward.
2: So what do you think? Why people hesitate to contact or follow up afterwards, you know, after the initial call or uh, in-person meeting?
0: Well, it's it's difficult for me to fathom, but some people, Vinky, I think are just shy. They're introverted and maybe they're afraid of rejection. I, I mean, I'm not afraid. I, I send LinkedIn requests every day. I reach out to people. Some people that I reach out to, I think uh, they're, they're too important to want to respond. And some of them are the warmest people of all, right? I mean, I Uh, actually, it was, uh, I want to say, I reached out to Vinny Chopra. He actually reached out to me to be on my show. And so it's just amazing. If you put yourself out there, and if you're not afraid of rejection, uh, you can meet some amazing people.
2: The reason I asked this question is I wanted to bring this to everybody's attention, that We create our limitations ourselves that we can do this or we cannot do this. But in fact, we can do anything if we're willing to do it. Like you said earlier, if you're persistent and you have the willingness to do something, you have that mindset, you can achieve anything and you can do anything.
0: So So actually, I got a great story, if you don't mind. It's been told on TV. So I used to be quite shy. And there were a couple of ways. Well, first of all, how I got into that, I think that was in high school, I had a lot of acne and that made it really hard to interact and uh, was very, very destructive for a long time in my life. But uh, two ways I got over that. First was I learned to play the guitar and I learned to be very social in that aspect. Um, I was out in a band. We actually played out and it's difficult to be shy when you're out in front of people like that. And the second was just really learning how to value people. I read Dale Carnegie, the uh, how to win friends and- Influence I love that. People." Yes, mm-hmm. I know so many successful people have not only read that, but just love it and consider it foundational as I do. And uh, one of the first chapters, it teaches you how to become interesting to people and how to find interest in other people. And the secret is so simple. It's just, if you can just remember one thing about people, you remember their name and remember one thing about them and next time you have something to discuss and if you follow that rule you remember people's names and you remember one thing about them uh in many cha- many times they're just going to be literally floored uh not expecting that and it's a great way to start a friendship or a new business partnership you said it very well so tell me your why so for me my big why has got to be uh creating a good uh, example for my children and leaving a legacy. So I want to be somebody who can contribute to the world. I want to be able to, to help people. And I want to make sure that my children are well set up in life.
2: I'm going to ask you one more question related to that. So at this point in your life, what inspires you to keep on going or doing whatever you're doing?
0: Well, I guess I'd have to refer a little bit to the last answer because, you know, you get to a certain point and if you, you've you got a good, say, technical degree, you're already making good money and and you're basically set. So, uh, I mean, I think this wouldn't be a bad time to bring in the uh, aspect of gratitude. I think that for almost everybody, in the United States of America, we have way more than we actually need. That's so true. And if if anybody feels uh like they need any evidence of that, I would say go through your closets or your basements or your garage and look at all the things you don't use. We we have so much more than, than we already need. And if you realize that, you're rich. But when you realize that, then you do need that bigger why. And you have to figure out well, well, what am I what am I doing this for? Well, I like to be able to contribute to, to charity and causes and again to make sure that uh, my community and my children are in good place. You said it very well. Did you join any mentorship program? Uh, Not really. I mean, I am part of uh, Charity Brown's program. She's a business mentor. But as far as having a real estate mentor, no. When I joined up with Horizon Multifamily, I realized look, we all have very diverse experiences. Each one of us brought something different to the table. And I'm just learning from these guys. And every week, you know, would, do I want to be in a mentorship program or do I want to underwrite another deal? So I decided that I didn't really want to pay somebody to push me to do the next step when I feel like I already know the next step. I don't just want somebody to, to light a fire under my feet. Uh, I just wanted to take action. So I can never say whether that's the right or the wrong thing. If I had a mentor, it's entirely possible that maybe I would have taken down the 100 unit plus in the meantime. But again, we all have our different paths. And a lot of people who do go the mentorship route, they end up with what almost looks like student loan debts. And maybe they do get that, that great big deal, and but they don't have a big proportion of it. Uh, there's obviously uh, some. There's obviously some for against in that
2: one. That's true. I think it all depends upon your vision too. You know how you envision yourself, where you want to be, at what time frame, and uh, that helps you a lot to decide what route to take. So it could be a different path for everybody. Can you share one golden nugget with my audience?
0: Uh, persistence. Uh, That will do you well, no matter where you are. I mentioned my doctoral research. And one of the things that I saw, and I saw it again and again, it's not always the brightest people that succeed in research. It's the people who stick with it. And I learned that lesson early in life in research. And I learned it again and again and again. Somebody of average intelligence that has that persistence, that desire will win over a more intelligent person 10 to 1.
2: That's true. Oh, that's a really good one, actually. So this brings us to our rapid fire round. I'm going to ask you five questions. You're going to answer in one sentence and one word only. Are you ready? Ready. All right. Who was the most influential person in your life? my father what is the best book you have read or recommend
0: uh has to be the bible
2: what is your biggest passion
0: entrepreneurship
2: great in one word what does life mean to you uh to
0: me life is about giving back love it what is your favorite food Oh wow! I gotta say, I love uh, all Whole Foods. So I like fish, uh, and I eat, like nuts all day long. So as as long as it hasn't been processed, I I enjoy it. Great. So how can people reach out to you? You can find me on LinkedIn or contact me through Horizon Multifamily. Thank you George. Thank you so
1: much. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. As promised, we have a free ebook for you. 7 reasons why real estate syndications build long-term wealth. Please go to our website www.lumbainvest.com to download your free copy today. See you next week with another awesome guest.